Amen. Amen. Y'all can grab a seat. I think that's one of my new favorite birthday songs right there. Because that's what happened, right? I mean, God took our dry bones, right? And he, he, he made them come alive again. We're in this section of 1 Peter. Uh, we've been studying 1 Peter since uh, April 27th. But we're in the section in 1 Peter uh, that we're calling Somebody's Watching Us. Because I don't know about you, but it always feels like somebody's watching me. Hit it. <laughs> Somebody's watching. I always feel like somebody's watching me. Okay, y'all make me feel like I was doing that by myself, and it's pretty. I'll talk one of my most embarrassing moments. On my birthday, you did that to me. All right. Somebody's watching us, and the theme verse for this section of 1 Peter is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, where Peter says this, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, live such good lives among the pagans, among your unbelieving neighbors, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, the, the unbelieving world is has been and always will be watching us. It's, there's nothing we can do about it. it. It's just the way things are. And so Peter tells us that, that we must seize this reality uh, that the world is watching us, that, that we must use it, and we must see it as an opportunity to live such good lives that the pagan world, the unbelieving world that's watching us, they see the way that we live, and they glorify God, and they surrender their lives to him. And Peter's really only restating what Jesus said in his inaugural address by the Sea of Galilee, right? And when Jesus said that, you know, we are the salt of the earth, you know, that the world needs the healing that only his church can bring, that we are the light of the world, that we're to let our, our light shine before men, that they see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. And, and the bottom line is this, that the, that the lives that, that you and I choose to live and it really is our choice, as Jesus' followers, is our greatest asset in evangelism. The lives that you and I choose to live as the unbelieving world watches us is our greatest asset in evangelism and sharing our faith. As Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use what? Use words. And last week, we talked about how, how, how the world is watching us uh, to see how we handle sin and temptation, uh, to see it, you know, if, if our walk lines up with our talk, to, uh, to, to see if we live differently than the world does when, when it comes to our morals, when it comes to our behavior, when it comes to our conduct. And, and the good news is that Peter told us four things last week that if we embrace them, will help us overcome sin and temptation. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. The world is watching us to see how we handle sin and temptation, and the first thing we need to do to overcome it, and, and it's, I really need to review these things because I don't know about you, we talked about it last week, but I sinned this past week, and maybe you did too, right? And, and if we're to ever overcome that, there's some things we need to do. We need to remember, first of all, who we are. And who are we? We are foreigners and aliens, right? We're not from here. We're just visitors. Our citizenship is in another place. Therefore, we're not to live according to the pattern of the world. We're not to adopt the habits, customs, and lifestyle of the world that we're in because we're from another place. The way that you and I live in regards to sin and temptation is to demonstrate that we really are from a different place, that we really are God's people. And the second thing in order to overcome sin and temptation, we have to remember who sin is because it's so easy to forget. And, and, and listen, regardless of how much you want to do it and you do want to do it, uh, regardless of how good it feels, how much fun it is, sin is not your friend. It's your enemy and it's waging a war and its target is your very soul. And never forget that sin will always take you to places that you never really did want to go. 
and it'll always keep you there longer than you ever want it to stay. Maple Grove's God's goal for your soul is the salvation of your soul, which fills you with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Your enemy's goal for your soul, he has one too, is the destruction of your soul, which fills you with fear, doubt, shame, guilt, hopelessness, and death. Sin is our enemy. Its target is our soul. We were born into a war zone. The story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart. Man, your, your heart's taking some hits, hadn't it? The story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows who you could be. Let me tell you, the enemy knows who you could be, and he knows who Maple Grove can be, and he fears it. The third thing we have to embrace to overcome sin and temptation is remember our purpose, which is to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they will, they will see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So see, our, our, our purpose as Jesus followers is to live lives that, that bring glory to God and that draw lost people back to him. Uh, the purpose of life is, as Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the purpose of my life and yours as the world watches me, as it watches you, is to live lives that declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful life. And finally, overcome sin and temptation, we have to rely on his grace and his spirit. He personally carried away our sin in his own body on the cross. He did it, not us. So we can be dead to sin. So we can live for what is right. You have been healed by his wounds, not your own. Once you were wandering like lost sheep, but now you turn to your shepherd, the overseer of your souls. If we're ever, ever going to overcome sin and temptation, we must rely on God's grace. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's a line in that old hymn that goes like this, nothing can my sin erase, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of works, tis all of grace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. In Isaiah 44, if you're doing the faith, it comes from here, and we read it this week, and that's why, man, it's so important to be God's word, because God speaks through his word, and Isaiah is just so powerful, and, and Isaiah said this to us, talking about uh, the, the new king that will come in Christ. He says this, I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I scattered your offenses like what? Like the morning mist. I, I challenge you to leave here today and go looking for the morning mist, right? It ain't there, right? It's gone. And God says, that's what I did to your sin. They're not there. They're gone. I, I've taken care of that. For I have paid the price to set you free Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done this wondrous thing. Shout for joy, O death to the earth. Break in the song, O mountains and forests, and every tree, for the Lord has redeemed. We must rely on his grace, and we must rely on his spirit, because on our own, in our own power, on your own and in your own power, you will never live the life God wants you to live. And the good news, God never intended for us to live this life on our own power. That's why he gave us his Holy Spirit. That's why the good news of the birth of the church is God poured out his spirit, and no longer did God's spirit just fall on people to empower them, but it began to indwell people to shape and change them into a new creation. God is working in you, giving you the desire. God is working in you, Jesus follower, giving you the desire and the what? And the power to do what pleases him. You see, living this new life, living this such good life is, is not about trying harder. Trying harder is not working. It never will. But it's about leaning further into God's grace and into God's spirit. Again, those four things were, were worth repeating. And I got to tell you, guess who's going to come knocking at your door this week? Sin. Hey, here I am. Open up. It's just the candy man, right? I'm here with your pizza, right? It's going to lie to you, right? You got to remember who you are. I I can't go there because I'm a foreigner. I'm from another place. And and you're not my friend. Even though you look like your friend and you're trying to con me, you're not my friend. You want to hurt me. You want to destroy me, right? And my purpose in in my life is, is to bring honor and glory to God so I can't open the door to you. 
right? And, and this is hard to do, and I don't think I can do it, but thank God I can rely on his grace and rely on his spirit, and then I can overcome sin. This morning, as we continue our study, somebody's watching us. We're going to talk about probably what is one of your all-time favorite topics, submission and respect for those who have authority over you. I mean, don't you love those two words, submission and respect? I mean, think of all the movies and books and songs that have made these two words, submission and respect, their theme. Yeah, I couldn't think of any either. Uh, but on the other hand, when I turn my thoughts to rebellion and defiance, the antithesis of submission, the list of songs and movies and books really fills up. 2,000 years ago, Peter grabbed the pen and paper and wrote not just a God-breathed letter, but a very practical letter, a letter that dealt with real issues, issues that exiles on a mission for Christ in a world that was not their home were sure to face. And you know what? Respect and submission for those in authority is about as practical as you can get because every one of us is under somebody's authority somewhere, right? Every one of us. And make, mo- make, mo- make no mistake about it, the world is watching us. They're already watching. They're seeing how you and I react to authority, how we respond to it. To respond to it like the world does or like Christ did, and it is having an impact. Good question, why is submission to authority such an issue for us? Why is it so hard, so rare? Uh, let me suggest several reasons why. Number one, we are sons of Adam. Understand the first couple were lawbreakers, and ever since the fall in Genesis 3, the image of God in us has been tainted. And we now have a natural tendency to rebel. I mean, what, what, what is easier for you? Is it easier for you to rebel or to submit? I mean, rebelling to me is like floating downstream, pretty easy. But sometimes submitting is like swimming upstream against a heavy current. Another reason submitting to authority is so hard for you and I is because of pride. You see, we think that everybody who's an authority over us is just dumb. And that if we were in charge, you know, if I was the president... You know, if I was the head coach of that team, if I was the teacher, if I was in charge of our family, things would be, you know, they wouldn't, so much better. Bottom line, we don't like people telling us what to do. We rebel against authority because we, it's part of the American DNA. Uh, We are a country that was born out of rebellion. If you don't believe me, go ask the British, right? Rebellion is part of the American DNA. Um, Fourth, we rebel against authority because we're, we're, we're on the, the backside, the rear end of the 60s and 70s, and where, the, where the thing to do was to question all authority and to rebel against the man, whoever the man was, until that is you became the man, and then you all of a sudden liked authority. And, and, and I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and it, it really was a time where you looked up to people who, you know, rebelled against authority. And to be honest, I, I had a real hard time with any authority as I was growing up. It didn't matter whether it was my parents, a teacher, a principal, a police officer, a judge. It didn't matter. I had no respect for authority. Number five, uh, we we rebel against authority and find it so hard because we live in a culture where civil disobedience is praised. I mean, when's the last time you you saw a, 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 a news article that said this? Hey, here's Fred. He's a great guy. He pays his taxes. He works hard, and he loves his family. Not very often. Six, we rebel against authority because it's just assumed, right, that once you hit your teenage years, you're going to rebel against anything and everything, especially your parents. And, and just, if you don't believe me, just ask any kid who decides not to rebel uh, the kind of things that are said about them. Number seven, we, we have a hard time with authority because we're selfish. We're selfish. You see, see, most of our rebellion is not about some great cause like Martin Luther King had, but most of it's about us, and it's about us not wanting to do anything that we don't want to do. And finally, we rebel against authority because we've seen authority abused in the past, right? Maybe our, maybe our parents were harsh. Maybe a teacher was unfair. Maybe the church we attended was full of legalism and rules. Maybe our boss is a total idiot. But listen, despite all of these reasons and any other ones we could come up with, God through Peter has something to say to each of us this morning that somebody's watching us and they're watching to see how we as God's people respond to authority. And if they see respect, if they see submission, our salt will be salty, our light will shine, and we will live such good lives that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they will see our good lives and glorify God on the day that he visits. Would you stand as we read our text for this morning?
Don't you love authority and submission? Come on. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Did it end? My part didn't end. Okay. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And let's pray, palms open, if you're ready to receive from God this morning. God, we love you. And God, every victory, all authority is yours. And God, I pray that your word speaks to us today. God, I pray that you, your word lands on soul of hearts that are respectful of your word, that are submissive to your word. And God, I pray that because of what happens in this place today, in our hearts today, that we go out and live lives that demonstrate your authority. And if they see respect and submission, our salt will be salty, our light will shine, and we will live such good lives that the unbelieving world will glorify God. Peter writes these words. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it's commendable. Someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Maple Grove, somebody's watching us. They're watching me, they're watching you, and they're watching to see how we will respond to authority. And Peter wants to talk to us about that this morning. And I'd like you to pray with palms open. Father God, we love you. And, and God, thank you for who you are, and thank you for your word, and thank you for the opportunity we each have because of your spirit living inside of us and your grace that surrounds and covers us covers us. And God, I pray that as we talk about something so very practical, Lord, in a way that we can make our light shine, in the way that our salt can be salty, in a way that we truly can live such good lives that the world sees us and sees how we live differently, and they glorify you, God, and come back to you. And God, help me to speak exactly what you want me to speak in the way that you want me to speak. And God, may we have eyes to see and ears to hear, and may we submit our lives to the authority of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. What are we to do? We are to submit. And that word submit, it's a, it's a military term, and it means to place yourself under the proper rank. Bottom line, if someone has a higher rank, then we submit. And remember, Peter is writing to a group of Christians who were suffering great injustice. They were experiencing persecution for their faith, from the government, from their neighbors at work. And listen, when you're on the receiving end of injustice, everything in you wants to retaliate. Everything in you wants to rebel and make things right. So these first words of Peter, they were not what the people in the first century wanted to hear. Yet Peter says, submit yourselves. And, and another interesting thing about that um, Greek word submit is that it's in, it's in the middle voice. And literally it means place yourself under submission. You see, it's you yourself that is actually doing the submitting. You see, biblical submission is about placing yourself under someone's authority by your own choice and with a happy spirit. You see, God wants our submission to be from the heart. I mean, if we submit to someone because we have no choice, what credit is that to us, right? It's like that old story when, you know, the parents kept telling their their small child to sit down, sit down, and the child wouldn't listen, and finally they forced the child to sit down, and the little, little child looks at their mom's, mom and dad and says, hey, I, I may be, right, you've heard this, right, I, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And Paul says, that's not how I want you to do it. You know, God wants us to be, God wants us to be sitting down on the inside and on the outside. And when submission is a choice, it gives our freedom back. Richard Foster says this about this very text. Peter made decision makers out of those who are forbidden to make decisions. He made decision makers out of those who are actually forbidden to make decisions. And so submission comes from a, a, a willing spirit. Submit yourself to every authority instituted among men. And listen, Peter knows that that's a hard pill to swallow, right? And that's why he's going to give us a couple of compelling motivations. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Why should we do this? Number one, because submission brings what? It brings honor to God. Notice that Peter says that we're to submit not for the sake of the authority, we, we don't submit for the sake of the government. We don't submit for the sake of our boss. We don't even submit for the sake of ourselves. We submit for the sake of the Lord. So when it's difficult to submit, remember that you're really submitting to God, to what God wants you to do, to who God has called you to be, and that the submission always brings honor to God. You see, we're not to submit to governmental authorities because we agree with their views, or because the leaders are likable, or because the teacher is cool. Instead, we submit for the Lord's sake, because it brings honor to God. Okay, imagine you're a parent that, that drops your toddler off in his class before coming to church, and about 20 minutes into the service, a volunteer comes in and gets you and tells you that your child you know, wouldn't obey or sit down for the entire class, and, and that when, you told, when they told your child to stop talking, they kept on talking. And when you said, hey, it's time to clean up toys, your child refused, stomped his feet, and, and threw the toys across the room. Question, what would your response be as a parent? Embarrassment, right? Why? Because the child represents you. But, but let's say you pick up your child... After the service and the teacher says, Mr. Andy says, hey, I want you to know that, that every time I asked your child to do something, they did it. And they always said, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. They picked up toys without being asked. They helped other, other students pick up their toys. It was an incredible pleasure to have your child in my class today. Now, how would you feel after making sure, all right, who is this kid again? you would be what? You'd be honored. 
In like matter, when we have a submissive spirit to those in authority over us, it honors God. It reflects well on him. And conversely, when we don't have that kind of spirit, God is what? He's dishonored. Get it? Good. Submit yourselves, right? God ain't going to make you do it. He expects us to do it, right? He's not going to make us. For the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men. Uh, Next reason, next motivation for doing this is submission enhances our testimony. In verse 15, he says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. And listen, there was some ignorant talk being thrown out against the church in Peter's day. They were being slandered, they were being mistreated. They were accused of insurrection, of rebelling against Rome and human authority. Uh, They were accused of atheism because they they wouldn't worship the emperor or other Roman gods. They were actually accused of cannibalism because uh, people had gotten the wrong idea when Jesus said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. They were even accused because of calling each other brothers and sisters of immorality and incest. So, So there was all this hostility and injustice pouring down on them. And of course, the natural response is to to be defensive, to sue for slander, to return the fire. But as far as Peter was concerned, there's really only one way to answer those accusations. And and that was to live a godly life. That that, that was to to live a life full of good deeds. That was to live a life that demonstrated respect for those in authority. Question, if at your place of employment you are defiant and disrespectful, disrespectful to those over you, if you refuse to do things the the way they ask you to do it and the way you ask them to do it, is your testimony enhanced or hindered? Which one is it? You know, we live in a world, right? We live in a time where there's little, if any, respect for authority, right? I mean, go ask a teacher somewhere, right? Go, go ask a police officer, right? Go, go ask some people, right? Go ask a mom and dad. Therefore, in, in this dark, depraved, disrespectful, unsubmitting world, when you and I show up places and we're actually respectful and submissive, they will notice. They will notice, and it will enhance our testimony. Amen? You see, one of the most powerful testimonies we can have as a church is through submitting and and, and doing what Philippians 2 says, treating others better than ourselves. Maple Grove, bringing honor to God, to Christ, and enhancing our testimony are compelling motivations for submitting ourselves to every authority instituted among men. And, And then Peter, after laying out this difficult commandment, and helping us understand, hey, guys, here's why it's so important. I know it's hard. He, he gives two ways that this submission is to be played out in their lives at that time. And I know their culture is different, right, than ours, much different. But we're going to look at what Peter said to them and then draw some parallels that we can apply to our lives about being submissive in the year 2014. Again, Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Understand, part of being a good citizen of heaven is being a good citizen of earth. And listen, no matter what we think about our government, Right now, uh, no matter what we think about those who are in leadership in our government right now, it is much easier to submit to our government than to the government in Peter's day. According to the Roman historian Tacitus, rumors spread that, that Nero himself had ordered the burning of Rome so that he could blame the Christians. And check out what, what the Roman historian Tacitus, who lived at that time, wrote about what was happening to the Christians. I think we have that. And as I read this, imagine this happening to the person to your right or left you know, this week. Covered with the skins of beasts, 
They were torn by dogs and perished. Can you imagine? Or nailed to crosses or doomed to the flames and burned. Tacitus. Both, matter of fact, Peter would actually, and Paul as well, uh, would actually be killed during this time of persecution. Uh, there's a story of Nero which really shows how evil this guy was. About midway through his reign, he, he began to think, hey, you know what? I'm a very good charioteer. So he built a track and started racing. And obviously, he, had, he won every event. And, and he had so much fun. He says, you know what? I, I, I like to be able to race when it's dark, but how, how, can I be, how will I be able to see? So what he would do during the day, he would send his soldiers out into the city to gather up Christians, and they would dip those Christians in tar and pitch, tie them to a post, and as soon as it got dark, they would light them on fire as human torches so Nero could drive his chariots at night. So, so imagine that you're a member of the church Peter first wrote to. And you're gathering to hear these words from Peter. And you're pretty excited. I mean, because this is a guy who hung out with Jesus. I mean, this is a guy who had a knowledge about, a relationship with, and access to Jesus that's unparalleled in human history. And up until this point, you're really liking his letter, right? You know, he's saying, God the Father chose you. God the Son died for you. God the Spirit lives in you. And because of his great mercy, you've been given new birth into a living hope. Because of his great mercy, you, you have inheritance that can never spoil or fade. Be, because of his great mercy, God's power is protecting and shielding you. Because of his great mercy, your troubles can actually strengthen your faith. Because of his great mercy, you're receiving the salvation of your souls. Because of his great mercy, you have a new identity. Once you were not a people, now you're a people of God. And they're saying amen, and they're weeping, they're standing up, they're having a great time. But how do you think these new words went down? I mean, imagine hearing them after a loved one of yours was murdered by Rome the week before. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether the king has the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Nero was an evil, cruel man. Yet Peter says, for the Lord's sake, show respect. For the Lord's sake, submit. For the position, not necessarily for the person. Understand, the, the idea of government and, and, and civil law is something that God thought up. It was, it was and is his idea. Maple Grove, the unbelieving world, is, was watching the first century Christians. Peter knew that. Just like they're watching us, and they want to know, hey, how we handle sin and temptation. Are we just like the world? And when it comes to authority, you know, whether in the government, at work, at wherever, how do we respond to authority? Are we just a bunch of lawbreakers, man? Do we just do whatever we want to do? For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. You see, the reason you and I submit to authority, it's for the Lord's sake. It's every time we do it, Every time we are sitting down, both on the outside and the inside, we just brought honor to God. He wants us to submit to authority so that we minimize the bullets we give to our enemies to shoot back at us. You know, I mean, sometimes we build the gun, load the gun, and hand the gun and say, shoot us! Shoot us! Why? Because it's God's will that our lives be a witness for him. So let's get specific about responding to authority. As we go through these little four things on your notes, maybe, give, maybe zero to five, give yourself a number. You know, do you submit to the government? Again, Peter told these believers to show respect for Rome and for Nero. Jesus followers at Maple Grove, do you respect and obey the laws of the government? Do you pay your taxes? Do you obey the laws of the land unless that obedience causes you to disobey God, which, by the way, is the only biblical exception, right? Only one. Uh, however, we do see it several times throughout Scripture, right? Uh, when Pharaoh told the Hebrew midwives, right, to, to kill all newborn baby boys, they what? They refused. I'm not doing it. Uh, Daniel and his friends, they, they disregarded governmental orders, when his order said, you're not to pray to God, and you must bow down to worship idols, said, nope, not doing it, not obeying that. In the book of Acts, right, uh, uh, we see Peter himself not submitting to authority. 
In Acts chapter 4, Peter's arrested and say, hey, we're done with this Jesus talk. Uh, no more talking about him. No more sharing your faith. And, and Peter says, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They get released. In chapter 5, they're arrested again. They're drugged before the Sanhedrin again. And Peter said this, we must obey God rather than men. That's the exception. Do you submit to the government? Give yourself a zero to five. Do you submit to your employer? Do you do what he or she tells you to do when they tell you to do it? Or is there always some kind of fight or or debate or resistance when they ask you to do something? Do you show up early, stay late, work hard while you're there? Uh, Do you look for ways to, to serve your boss and make their job easier? Do you speak well about them, or do you you join in with the other people when the boss is not around to bash them, to tear them down? And listen, if your boss happens to be a Christian, God says in 1 Timothy that you should serve them even better, that you should respect them even more. So here's the bottom line. Christians should be model employees that cause all the employers to say throughout Charlottesville, right, hey, are there any more people at Maple Grove who are looking for a job. Man, do I love having them work for me. They're the hardest working, most respectful, most responsible people I have in my company, I have in my organization. They're watching, and it makes a difference. Now, I can hear some of the little atoms in us begin to argue a little. Now, hold on, wait a minute. You have no idea what an idiot my boss is. There's no way that I can respect or submit to him. Peter said, "Mm mm-hmm, I have an answer for you, guided by the Spirit of Christ. Slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are what? Harsh. For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. He said, yeah. He said, yeah, even if it's harsh and it's painful and you're suffering, but if you say, you know what, I'm going to submit and respect because I'm conscious of God, Peter says, that's the way you do it. That honors your dad. That enhances your testimony. And for young people and for students, do you submit to the authority at your school? Do you submit to your teachers, to the bus driver, to the lunch workers, to the administrators? If you say you want to win your school for Christ, then God wants you to start being respectful to everybody. I mean, the power, after they get over the initial shock, when young people begin to say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, can I help? Will cause your light to shine in an amazing way. I mean, students have an opportunity 180 days every year to reflect the beauty of Christ to this lost, dark, broken, and hurting world. Submission honors God. Submission enhances our testimony. Can can you imagine an unbelieving fellow student or unbelieving teacher walking past Seat the pole on on an early one morning, and they see you out there, you know, praising God, and then later that day they see you disrespecting authority, was your testimony enhanced or or was it hindered? I think we know the answer, right? Do you submit to your parents? The children submit to the parents. Do they do what they're told when they're told to do without a fight, without an attitude, without the stomping of the feet, the slamming of the door, or the rolling of the eyes? I, I mean, if you claim to really be on fire for Christ, but a rebellious at home, you're doing the gospel and the Christ a disservice. And, and, and frankly, I don't get it. You, you say you want to win your mom, your dad, your step-parent to change. You want them to come to church to follow Christ, but maybe your attitude really isn't helping that happen all that much. Now, quick word before we move on from here to parents. Now, Paul talked about children obeying parents. Uh, but he also said this to parents, fathers do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And that word exasperate 
means to, it means to make angry, to excite or inflame the anger, to cause irritation or annoyance. And we're not to do that, moms and dads. What are some of the ways we can do that? What are some of the ways that, that we can exasperate our kids and inflame them to anger? Well, by being harsh, unforgiving, unfair, and mean-spirited. Not by not listening. By not spending real time with them. By using shame and ridicule to get them to do something. Uh, by being unwilling to admit our mistakes or to say, I'm sorry I was wrong. By being unyielding, unbending, and unreasonable. But by being inconsistent in our lifestyle. Do as I say, <laughs> not as I do. Are you kidding me? Where we get that from? Not from God. By placing unattainable expectations on our children and letting them know you didn't make it again. By not letting them grow up. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. So should children submit to their parents? Yes. Should workers submit to their employers? Yes. Should players submit to their coach? Yes. Should citizens submit to the government? Yes. Should Christians submit to the church leaders? Yes. Should members of organizations submit to the leadership of that organization? Yes. Why? For the Lord's sake. Why? Because we are salt. Why? Because we are light. Why? Because it honors God. Why? Because it enhances our testimony. Get it? Good. I'm going to end with a powerful example. Peter says this. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Circle the word example in your notes. See, Jesus left you and I the ultimate example when it comes to submission to authority. Right? I mean, as a child, he, he submitted to his mom and dad. And though God and sinless, he submitted to the law. And I think that the way Jesus chose to change the world with his life really speaks to what you and I need to do to change our world with our life. Understand, Jesus lived under an unjust and unrighteous leadership, government, his entire life. Yet you have no record of Jesus ever attacking the government. He never led a protest. He never demonstrated against the abuse of Rome. He never, he never led civil obedience, right? Civil disobedience. Matter of fact, when he had a chance not to pay taxes, what did he say? Give the Caesars what is Caesars, and to God what is God. I understand Jesus could have come as a king. In fact, there was a time in John 6 where the people wanted to make him king. And there was a political movement at the time, the zealots, who wanted Jesus to overthrow the Roman government. But Jesus refused because he understood a real important truth that government and politics are limited. Jesus understood that the hope and the change that the world needs will never come from the Roman Senate, from the Emperor of Rome, or from Washington, D.C., or from any other place. And now don't misunderstand me. Politics is an honorable profession, or should be. And we need great people in there. But Jesus chose a different way to, to make a difference, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Because he knew that the only way to change the world is not through rebellion and government legislation, but through inner transformation and change heart that comes by the gospel. And now this passage brings up, you know, uh, the kind of idea. So what should the Christian's role be in regards to government? And guys, we're blessed to live in a democracy, right? You know? Um, and, and so what do we do as Christian citizens when we do not like the direction the government is taking or, 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 or we, we oppose someone's views who is actually holding an office? I just want to give you some really quick guidelines. They're not in your notes. They'll pop up on the screen. You know? Some basic guidelines we need to keep in mind about our involvement in politics. Number one, that government is what? It's limited. Okay? Our hope is not in government. Our hope is not, you know, man, I, I sure hope our hope is not in the midterm elections in 2014. That's where our hope is, right? Hope will not come riding and flying in on Air Force One, right? Amen. The government is limited. 
God's way to change the world is through the church, right? Number two, keep in mind, don't tie Jesus to any political party or political view, right? And and, and let's let's be real here, right? You know, we can make it like if you're, oh my God, I'm going to say the word in church. I don't know if I should say it. Democrat, right? That, wow, you know, how can you be a Christian and be a Democrat? Don't tie anything to Jesus. Jesus stands by himself. You know, we so cluttered up, right? You know, because, I mean, you can be whatever, right? But do you agree 100% with the policies of Democrats or the Republicans? No. Are they all honest? No. Can you trust them all? Probably not. Jesus, you can, right? And we tie it, right? We, we tie so closely with these things that, that, that people reject Christ because they think Jesus is a Republican or because he's a Democrat or because he holds this view, right? And, 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 and then the next one is, you know, don't, don't uh, choose either of these two misguided approaches towards government. Number one, lashing out, right? Doesn't work. You know, when Christians check their love at the door, the protests and come against the government, it does not work, and it's not working, right? You know? You know? I mean, we look so unloving at times, don't we? <laughs> you! I can't believe you're the sinful! Would you come to our church? We'd like to tell you about Jesus. This doesn't work. But number two, caving in, right? And not being involved in it at all. I, I, see, I, see, too many Christians think that submission to the government it means no political action at all. I mean, why is it easier in America to obtain a divorce than it is to obtain a home loan? Why are 25% of our kids in our country growing up without a dad? Why is it easier for a minor to, to get an abortion than to get their teeth cleaned? Why are there more dog bookstores in our country than there are McDonald's? I mean, how can this be when 80% of the people in this country say, hey, we're Christians, and 40% said they went to church last week? So I think we caved in. I mean, there's some things we have to stand on in a Christ-like attitude and do things in a Christ-like way. You know, we, we're allowed to express our voice, but we express it like Jesus. Again, when it comes to respect and submission, Jesus, he's our example. He didn't want to go through crucifixion, but he submitted to the will of the Father. His trial was illegal. He suffered, he suffered unjustly. He didn't do anything wrong, yet he did not retaliate. He could have. He's the Son of God. Matthew 26 says that he could have called 12 legions of angels, a legion's made of 6,000. He could have called 72,000 angels. That's some serious stuff, yet he says nothing. And Peter says, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And that word, we're about done. That word translated example means something written underneath. Something. Do you remember those homework sheets with dotted letters from kindergarten? How you learn to write by tracing over the letter. Remember, remember these things? I think we got a picture. should pop up. Remember those? Remember? Some of you could still use ah, That's how you do that letter. Ah. You know, and if you're watching your son or daughter do that, man, you look over and say, oh, man, you know what? That's really starting to look like a J. Great job. Well, the word example here is that same picture. Maple Grove, Jesus lived a life that has provided dots for us to trace over as we live ours. Jesus lived a life that provided dots for you and I to trace over as we live ours. And you know what? Who knows? As the world's watching you, as they're watching me handle sin and temptation, as they're watching our response to authority, they might just look over our shoulders and say, hey, you know what? That's starting to look a lot like Jesus. Beth Moore says, keep looking into the mirror until you no longer see yourself, but all that you see is Christ. Maple Grove, somebody's watching us. And I say, let's keep tracing over his dots 
with our lives. Let's keep striving to be more like him. Yes, somebody's watching us. And let's live such good lives relying on his grace and his spirit that they see how you and I live. No, not perfect, but, but a whole lot better because of his grace and his spirit that they see how we live at work, how we deal with sin and temptation, how we respond to authority, that they glorify God and surrender to him and have their lives changed forever. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are in all of you. And God, I pray for your body here at Maple Grove. I pray that we truly had ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that say, all right, I'm going to do this. And lives that just long to bring honor to you, God. God, forgive us for our pride, God. Forgive us for our disrespect for those in authority over us. And God, help us to be respectful and submissive. God, help our lives and our lights to shine before men, that they may see how we live and be drawn to you. God, thank you for loving us with your undying, unyielding, unbending, uncompromising, never-ending love. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song. And, and I do want to you know, lay out the invitation. You know, you know, Every week we wrap up the service, right? And, and you guys heard the word. And if you happen to be here today, and, and you know, it, it, today is Pentecost Sunday. Now, 2,000 years ago, the church was born. 2,000 years ago, people heard for the very first time what they could do with their sin situation. You know, that if they repent and are baptized, they receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you've never make that decision to surrender to Christ, you know, come talk to me, right? We can talk about it. You know, our baptistry is always warm, right? If you need to surrender to him, man, I, I can think of no reason not to, right? Um, and, and if you have a prayer need after service, our elders are always up here to talk with you. Um, but let's stand and sing.